Romans 8, starting at verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you so much, Elaine. Uh, Can I say it's a great joy for Sue and I to be with you for several weeks here in the city. Uh, For the first part of this year, we've been moving around the other churches in our uh, family of churches, our network of churches. Some of you may not know, but we have a relationship with 13 other churches across Adelaide and South Australia. So we've, we've had the privilege of connecting with them. And can I say, God has really been doing extraordinary things as I've looked around the network. Uh, For example, at the start of this year, there's been a huge influx of newcomers and people searching after God, wanting to know more about him, Uh, more so than I can ever remember seeing in the first term of any year that I've uh, been around Trinity. So that's something to give enormous uh, thanks for. Today, as we meet, we start a series uh, in the Holy Spirit or on the Holy Spirit, uh, just a couple of comments. One is uh, we, we tend to put out Bible studies in association with our, our sermons and normally those Bible studies follow the sermon series. In this case, that's, that's not happening. That is, the Bible studies you would have received or can get a hold of, they complement the talks you'll hear here of a Sunday. So the, uh, the Bible studies will give you the sweep of the work of the Holy Spirit across the, uh, the whole of the Bible Whereas the talks that I'm going to be giving, uh, they focus on some particular issues. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We'll look at that today and you can see an outline uh, in the leaflet you received as you came in. Uh, What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit? And as we get into this, uh, the person of the Spirit and the impact of the Holy Spirit on our lives, can I say that our experience of the Holy Spirit, our background of teaching on the Holy Spirit, our understanding of the Holy Spirit is almost certainly going to be incredibly diverse in a room this size. Uh, One of our staff was talking to a person who'd fairly recently joined as a member of our church and this, this person said that when they heard we're having a series on the Holy Spirit, uh, they said they were pleased and just a bit relieved because they weren't sure we believed in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so it's an interesting comment. Can I say we do believe in the Holy Spirit? Uh, from time to time, for example, we say the creed 
uh, or one of the creeds as we gather together. And at those points, we declare that we believe in the Holy Spirit. But I suspect the question that we need to explore more is, what does it mean to believe in the Holy Spirit? Now, what do you mean when you say that? What do I mean when we say that? Holy Spirit and discussions around the Holy Spirit have generated an enormous amount of debate among Christians and churches over the last 40 years. And believers will describe their experience of the work of the Holy Spirit with very different language, uh, different sorts of content. So some Christians will talk about a relationship with God of deep intimacy, uh, where there are profound emotions involved, where God seems to be stepping in on a daily basis to guide them or even speak audibly to them, uh, to help them make uh, big and small decisions in their life. I'll talk about certain gifts they might have, uh, like speaking in tongues, and an expectation that all Christians really should be manifesting those sort of gifts in their lives. That's, that's at one end. Then at the other end, uh, there are Christians, I think, who describe uh, their life with God a bit more like a, a flat pack furniture kit that you get from Ikea, uh, you know, a bit sterile. That is, you know, here you get the flat pack kits from Ikea, maybe you don't know, uh, but you get a kit and there are instructions in there to tell you how to assemble uh, the flat pack furniture uh, kit that you've received. Now, they say they're meant to be simple. I've never found it simple. And uh, people do talk about their, their life and relationship with God a bit like that. God's given us the Bible. Here are the instructions on how you live your life. And what we do for however many decades you walk with the Lord is you work out the instructions, you know, and keep trying to work out what they're saying, apply them to your life. God, in the meantime, has sort of not disappeared, but he's ruling from afar. And then in due course, when you die, we'll get back together again, we'll assess how it all went and make plans from there, you know. Have you had that experience, the way people talk so differently about the relationship that they have with God. Now, can I say the purpose of this series is not to stir up division or to engender debate, even though I suspect some of that will happen. In Ephesians 4.3, you'll see it on the leaflet there, we're told to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What we want to do over these three weeks is to study what the scriptures teach us about the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, both in our lives and in the church. And here's the way we'll understand if the Spirit has been at work in our midst over those three weeks. We will be united and we'll have greater unity as a result of studying the Bible and studying the work of the Spirit because that's the mark of the Spirit's work in our life. I'm going to pray that that's the case and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into our topic today which is being led by the Spirit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that in your kindness you don't leave us alone. Uh, you've engaged us. Uh, you've sent your Son into this world. 
the Holy Spirit has been sent so that we can know what it means to have a relationship with you. And Father, we pray that we'll see one of the marks of your work in us by your Spirit over these three weeks is that we'll be further united in our understanding of our relationship with you and what it means for us. Uh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off by asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? The 39 Articles of Religion, they're a well-known series of statements that were uh, put together at the time of the Reformation to help us understand uh, what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Article 5, you'll see it'll pop up on the screen, I think. Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, Article 5 is of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the Father and the Son, is of one substance, majesty and glory, with the Father, the Son, very and eternal God. So, uh, slightly old language. When we turn to Matthew 28, verse 19 in the leaflet, uh, Jesus here is commissioning his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, he is the third person of the Trinity. And we could spend all three weeks thinking about who the Holy Spirit is. But what I want to do instead is to actually think, uh, what does the Holy Spirit do? Uh, that is not who he is, but what does he do? And what does it mean today, particularly, to be led by the Spirit? I want to take you, first of all, to what I think is one of the most unusual verses in the whole of the Bible. It's John chapter 16, verse 7. And this is part of a section of teaching, actually, if you, it, you find it really helpful, if you look at John 14, 15 and 16, it talks about the, the work of the Father, Son and Spirit, the way they relate together, and highlights the nature of the Spirit's work in the world, in the church and in believers, worthwhile reading those three sections. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples. He's about to be killed on a cross and he says this in verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, isn't this extraordinary? Can you imagine, you're one of the disciples and Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, but you'll be better off. How could you be better off without Jesus? Really? How is that possible? Why? Jesus goes on and explains it a bit later on in verses 13 and 14 of the same chapter. But when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. See, what we're being told is that the work of the Spirit is very Jesus-focused in terms of his activity. Perhaps one of the best-known works of art in the world is the Mona Lisa. You can see a picture of that on the screen. Although the thing that people often say when they see this in, in the... Uh, 
the museum in Paris, is that they're surprised how small it is. So on the screen, it's about three times as big as what it is in actual real life. It's only 77 centimetres by 53 centimetres. Anyone ever seen, seen the... Uh, yeah, so a number of people have actually uh, seen it. I, I've never seen it, but when I talk to people who have, you know, what I find is they never talk to me about how well lit the Mona Lisa is. And that's not one of the things. They never talk about the lumens and the way in which the, uh, the people who set up the museum have brought this extraordinary light to bear so you can see uh, the picture. The focus is never on the lighting, okay? Now, I know that's a, a silly sort of illustration, but understand that's exactly what it's like with the Holy Spirit. When you read through the Bible, the focus is never on the Holy Spirit because the focus of the Holy Spirit is actually to take us into relationship with the Heavenly Father and particularly the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself, but rather the, religion, the riches of our relationship with God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit into that relationship? What I want to do now is turn to that passage that Elaine read for us. It's Romans chapter 8. And ask the question, where is the Spirit leading us? When you get to Romans chapter 8 uh, in this letter, there's a real gear shift. Uh, so for the first seven chapters of Romans, I think there are about two mentions of the Holy Spirit. When you get to Romans chapter 8 there are about 20 mentions of the Holy Spirit in just this one chapter. We come to Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and this is what we're told. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So the question I'd like to ask you this morning is, are you led by the Spirit of God. Because it's just another way of saying I'm a Christian. See, you can't be a Christian unless you are actually led by the Spirit of God. That's the point being made. Well, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Often, um, when Christians talk about it, they'll talk about the nature of making decisions, you know, guidance, um, who should I marry? What job should I do? Where should I live? How much money should I give to gospel ministry? Where should I retire? What retirement village should I live in? Or any number of other choices that we make in our lives, both big and small. Here in Romans 8, this is one of two places in the New Testament where believers are instructed to be led by the Spirit. That is, they're told to be led by the Spirit. The other place is Galatians chapter 5. Where does the Spirit lead us? Well, have Romans 8 open in front of you. Let's look at it together. The Spirit leads us into godliness. You see that in verses 13 and 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here in Romans 8, in fact, the wider argument of Romans, there's a great contrast being made between the flesh and the spirit. And when it talks about flesh, it's not talking about, you know, sinews and ligaments and muscles. It's not, not talking about us sort of physically so much, our cardiovascular systems. 
Rather, it's talking about the flesh being the mind and the heart that rejects God and says, I'm going to be the boss of me. Right? So it's a characteristic of life that puts God to one side. That's contrasted with the, the spirit, where God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might be convicted of sin, so that as we trust in Jesus, we're brought into a relationship with our Heavenly Father and we have that desire to live for him. Verse 13 captures it well, doesn't it? Uh, to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Romans 1 describes what that's like. You know, greed or gossip or envy or jealousy or sexual immorality or a fixation with money or anger. There's this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And that's a reality for believers. See, if you struggle with sin... That's not a sign that you're not a Christian. It's a sign that you are a Christian because you have the spirit of God and you're fighting sin in your life. That's a work of God's spirit in you. But the thing I want to focus on is the way in which the Holy Spirit leads us into the riches of our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father this is an extraordinary thing, really. We, if you've been a believer for a while, you might take it for granted. But this is amazing. Verse 15. The spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you have the Holy Spirit, there is no fear of judgment. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, we're told God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin, a sin offering. You see, if you're a, a follower, if you're a believer, then you have no fear of punishment because Jesus has taken that punishment in your place. Uh, in our legal system, we have a principle known as double jeopardy. What that means is that uh, you cannot be charged and convicted twice for the same crime. It's a double jeopardy principle. Uh, can I say, it's the same when it comes to our relationship with God. Jesus was punished for our sin. Understand, therefore, you can't be. It's, you, it's impossible. Because Jesus has taken that punishment for you. But can I just take it a step further? Because it's not merely a clinical payment of a debt to set you free from that debt. Pick it up in verses 15 and 16 again. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Literally here, it's the spirit of adoption. It's one thing for the guilty to be acquitted. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's who you are. A guilty person who's been acquitted because of what Jesus has done. Now, there's a forensic nature to that reality. But can I say it's quite a different thing for the guilty to be adopted as children into the family of God? 
That is an extraordinary thing. And it means we get to call God Abba, Father. Uh, many of you probably don't read the advertiser, uh, but yesterday I was reading the advertiser and there was a section in there about the fact that Lady Neal had died. Now, Lady Neal uh, was married to Sir Eric Neal, who was a former governor uh, here in South Australia. And I could remember when Sue and I uh, went for dinner up at Government House, but not to a formal sort of dinner. It was just Sue and I and Sir Eric and Lady Neal, and we ate in the kitchen. Uh, and you might think that's quite an informal thing to do with the governor. It sort of wasn't, sort of wasn't, you know. So uh, the, the kitchen we ate in was about as big as my house, right, to start with. And then the second thing was it was just Sir Eric and Lady Neal and Sue and I and sort of for house help, you know, waiting on us and serving food and that sort of thing. That doesn't happen in my kitchen, right? So there was that sort of... And as we were sitting there, you know, I didn't say to Sir Eric, Eric, can you pass the potatoes? You know, it wasn't like that. It was still Sir Eric and Lady Neil. But understand that for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to our Heavenly Father, it's not your excellency God. It's not Sir God. Abba, Father. Hard to come up uh, with a good translation of that, really. People talk about dad or dear dad or dearest daddy. My three kids don't say to me, dearest daddy. You know, that doesn't sort of work. But do you understand the content of it? Do you understand the... It's not so much about the the words, but about the confidence or the security or the love that's present in this relationship. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's about to be executed. And he's praying to his heavenly Father. And this is what he says, verse 36. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, Father. Friends, this is the one you can trust. This is the one you call out to in the moment of most serious crisis because you know that he is there, that he loves you and he has your best interests at heart. It's interesting, wasn't it? We heard Maggie saying that. She doesn't know exactly what's going on in that Cambodian situation but she does know that her heavenly father is at work and ruling for the good of these girls and her good as she presses forward. Abba, Father. I understand that in the Koran, there are 98 names for God that Muslims can use. Not one of them is personal. Here is the privilege 
I've been brought into the family of God, into this relationship with your heavenly Father. The Spirit brings home that reality of the privilege we have because of all that Jesus has done. And it's not just that. Notice the Spirit of the Lord leads us into our inheritance. Verse 17. Now if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What do we inherit? If Sue and I die, uh, we have three kids and they'll each share a third of not very much. Okay, that's just the way it works. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, that's, that's just the way it goes. But friends... When it comes to being a child of God, we don't split up the, the blessings. You know, Jeff Lynn doesn't get adoption and I get forgiveness. You know, we don't sort of have to divvy it up. And that. We all get the privilege of relationship with God in its fullness, just like the Lord Jesus, because we're co-heirs with Christ. We get everything that Jesus gets and we will share in his glory. The Holy Spirit, brings that reality home to us. Absolute security as we face the future. Friends, where is the Spirit of God? Where does the Holy Spirit lead us uh, into a job, uh, marriage, uh, home, retirement, village, to send our kids to a particular school? Can I say, God can direct you in any way he chooses. Yeah, he is the Lord of the universe, so I have no doubts he can, he can direct our paths in all sorts of ways as we go along. But friends, what I want you to hear very, very clearly is that the Holy Spirit leads us into something that is much better, much, much richer. John 16, verse 7. Don't you reckon it's a weird verse? Jesus said... To his disciples, it's for your good that I'm going away. For your good that I'm leaving you. Better off without Jesus? Really? <laughs> well, yeah, we are. Because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and the Spirit dwells in us. Convicts us of sin. And all that Jesus has done to deal with sin so that we might trust in that, have relationship with God. The Holy Spirit works in us and gives us that desire to live our lives for the glory and the honour of God. The Spirit of God brings us into this wealth of relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. And it means we, uh, when it comes to God, we're not his employees, uh, we're not his slaves, we're not his marketers, we're not his financial backers. I agree with Jeff, give money to, to the ministry of the gospel, but we're not the financial backers of God. That's not how he views us. Who are we? Friends, we are his beloved children, now and for all eternity, by the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Isn't that wonderful? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you 
are always gracious towards us. You sent your son into this world uh, to live, to die, to rise from the dead, to ascend to be with you at your right hand. Father, we thank you that uh, you, and the Holy, you and the Lord Jesus Christ have sent the Holy Spirit into this world to continue uh, the work of proclaiming that message of salvation, a message that you root deep in our hearts and lives of forgiveness, the life you want us to have, and the privileged relationship we have with you. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for the work of the Holy Spirit in our world and in our lives and in our church. And Father, we ask that we'll just deepen in our appreciation of all that the Holy Spirit has done and does so that we might know the riches of all you've given to us in the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.